Amen, amen. Hey, good morning, City Light. Good morning. morning. Y'all, it's a good Sunday. It's a really good Sunday. We got Kevin McClure up here leading us in worship. A.K.A. Kevbot, A.K.A. K-Mac, A.K.A. K-Love. You pick your choice. He'll respond to all of them. Hey, my name's Glenn. I serve as one of the pastors here. Really glad you're here this morning. Welcome to City Light Bennington. If you have your Bible or a device, I want you to go ahead and grab it and make your way to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians. Uh, If you're new among us, a warm welcome to you. Our church, typically our mode of operation, is to teach through books of the Bible. We start in chapter one, we go till we're done. And last week we started the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul. Paul was uh, an incredibly influential church planter, pastor, and and most notably apostle of Jesus. He was encountered by the resurrected Jesus and was uh, commissioned and entrusted to be a herald for God's plan of salvation to the nations. And so uh, he wrote, I think, 13, maybe 14 of our New Testament books. And he had spent time with this church in Ephesus for upwards of four years. And some time has passed now, he finds himself in chains in Rome. And he's writing a letter back to them. And and as you'll see this morning, there are some things about this church that Paul has learned from afar. There have been messengers that have come and gone and he's picked up. How are they doing? And he's writing this this letter of encouragement. And listen, the whole first chapter of Ephesians, uh, the last week that Roy preached on, is just Paul saying, we done been blessed. Double blessed. Triple blessed. Quadruple blessed. Okay, we have every blessing in Christ. If you are a person who claims Jesus as your Lord and Savior, uh, you have been blessed. Paul cannot find it in himself to put one period in 11 verses in the first half of chapter 1 because he just wants to get across, hey, you've been blessed. There is grace all over your life, Christian. And that's really, really good news. He says, listen, you've been made clean by the blood of Jesus. You are forgiven and there is no condemnation for you. He says, hey, you're no longer a spiritual orphan. You actually have a father in heaven now. You've been adopted. You have a spiritual family. You are one of us. You are a brother and sister or sister in Christ. He says, you've been set on a course toward becoming like Jesus. Sin does not have a hold or power over you any longer. You are no longer enslaved. Paul says, hey, you have power over sin. God the Spirit is in you. He is with you. He's all up in your business, all up in your life. He's saying, hello, you're not poor anymore, but you are rich in Christ. Come on, somebody. You are rich in Jesus. You have an inheritance that Big Bro has purchased, and he is now holding that, waiting for you. And he did all the work. You get all the blessing. This has been God's plan all along. You've been chosen for this, pre-blessed. Somebody say amen. Now let's pack it up and go home. What else do we need? (laughs) Well, here's the thing. We actually do need something else. As I was writing this, I thought we do need something else. Um, There are folks in this room this morning who who are on a spectrum. Um, On on one end of the spectrum, this may be you. You're a person this morning who you give a hearty amen when I ask for it. Um, It wasn't manufactured. You're thinking about all you have in Jesus. Your hands are raised. Tears are falling. There's prayers murmuring. God's doing a fresh work in your heart as you take inventory of all that you have in Christ. People in this room who can't contain a smile 
There's a hop in their step. They're energized because God would be mindful of them and carry out his plan of salvation, and they would be benefactors of that. But yeah, let me say this. Conversely, on the other end of the spectrum, all the way over here, there are plenty of people in this room. Let's be honest. When I list off all the blessings of Ephesians chapter 1, if I came and found you, there would not be a pulse I would feel in your arm right now. Uh, You've been coming to church for months. Maybe you've been coming to church for a whole year. I haven't seen a smile on your face. Uh, I haven't seen a hop in your step. There is not a joy that is tangible in your heart. You have felt exhausted, angry, bitter for weeks, months, even a year. You're wearing it on your sleeve, and something feels like it's kind of just stuck in your soul. Now, we are maybe not all the way over here, and maybe not all the way over here. But all of us find find us somewhere along that. And here's the thing. You are probably familiar with the good news of Jesus, most of the people in this room, that Christ died for our sin and that he rose again to new life, that we have resurrection power, that we are not alone, but God has reconciled us to him. You know it. There are people in this room who are familiar with all the stories, and and maybe you've heard them many times, but there seems to be a chasm, a gap, a disconnect between all that you know and how right now on this Sunday morning, May 1, May 2, of 2022 you're not feeling it you're not sensing it It, it's not the thing you wake up in the morning thinking about cherishing and living in light of big or small can we all confess that there is that gap that exists in our life here's what's at stake you and I every day we are fighting a battle for vision we have to all admit this morning that we don't always see things clearly There is the dynamic of spiritual blindness that's alive in all of us. And for every blessing that God gives, there is an opposite lie that's spoken by a a real enemy, the evil one. For every spiritual reality that God declares over us, there is a circumstance or a conflict or some kind of trial or suffering or an emotion that blinds us and binds us in our own pseudo-reality. We are robbed of so much every day as children of God because All the things we know of God, all the truths that we agree with about him are not making their home in our hearts and right now in our lives, influencing who we are and how we live. I want you to know, church, this morning God's got a great word for us. I want to propose that the something else that we need, the the something else we all need is what Paul is actually going to pray for in the second half of chapter 1 of Ephesians. I've titled this sermon, God, Help Us See. God, help us see. And my aim is that we would use that simple prayer as a weapon in our daily life. We've got proverbial spiritual glasses that we have on every single day, and there are a million things that are throwing mud all over those glasses. And we need to take the gospel Windex, and we need to spray, and we need to wipe away, and we need to see things clearly. Oh God, help us see. Do y'all understand right now how much this is playing a role in your life? In the moment-to-moment, day-to-day. Like, this is a a reality right now that actually needs to change in the heart of God's people. And Paul's going to pray for it, and he's going to show us how we ought to pray for one another. So I want to pick it up in verse 15 of chapter 1 as Paul begins. He says, for this reason, he's referencing the entire first half, all those blessings. Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. 
want to pause right there. What encourages Paul's prayers is that the, the churches that are in, the, in Ephesus, they have two things that are short up. Two of the most important things that are short up. Number one is he says, hey, your faith is in the Lord Jesus. Number two, he says, you have a love for each other. You have a love for all the saints. And context actually makes this really, really significant. One, Ephesus, hot mess of idolatry. Uh, a really, really weird, crazy place to live. city is filled with pantheism, multiple gods. There's a popular temple dedicated to the goddess Artemis, where worship is just fornication. Um, there are faiths in a million different things in Ephesus. And here a church stands, a community of people who say our faith is in the Lord Jesus. Not only that, but they don't just say our faith is in the Savior Jesus. It's in the Lord Jesus. Our knee is bowed to him. Our obedience is unto him. And Paul knows that and celebrates that. It says, I give thanks for you. Number two, Ephesus was diverse, huge city, hundreds of thousands in population, uh, different ethnic, religious, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, many, many, many reasons for people to come together in Christ and be divided. But no, 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 no. There's a love. There's a love amongst the saints. There's a unity amongst the saints genuine love. These two facts, these two things that are shored up in this church give Paul the confidence to write this letter and to call all of them saints. To say these are two real, true Christians whose faith are in the Lord Jesus and whose love is for one another. And because of that, I cannot stop giving thanks to God for you, City Light. Can I just pause and say, as your pastor, I give thanks for you. Only God knows why he has entrusted the mission and the ministry of his gospel message to the church. In progress, broken, messy people. God has entrusted a precious, sacred message and ministry to us. I know a couple things. CLB is filled with people who have faith in the Lord Jesus, even when the culture around us does not have faith in Jesus. And City Light Bennington is filled with people who have a love for each other, even though we are really different. Can we just acknowledge that? We're really different. So I give thanks to God for you. And I want to call each of us to give thanks to God for each other. And here's why. Listen, Paul doesn't give any other qualifiers for his thanksgiving. And not only that, based on the rest of the letter, he knows that the churches in Ephesus are flawed. He knows that they have a lot of problems. And he still gives thanks constantly, generously, unceasingly. Christians, what if we aim to outdo one another? in thanking God for each other simply because faith and love are alive in this church. Can we do that? That was for free. That was a bonus. No cost to you. Verse 17, Paul is going to continue and show us how to pray. He says, I remember you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. I'm going to stop right there. First, we need to pray this. God, help us see you. God, help us see you. In the Old Testament, um, Isaiah 11 is an example. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of wisdom. And here Paul adds the spirit of revelation. This is describing the ministry of the Holy Spirit, um, the illuminating work that he does. The, the illuminating work where he gives us deeper realizations, deeper understandings, a deeper sensing of who God is and how he has revealed himself to us in 
scripture. 1 Corinthians 2.12, Paul, writing to another church, says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Can I just summarize this little section right here? Paul is just praying, oh God, help people see you. Help people see you, for that is enough. Uh, Charles Spurgeon wrote this, Oh, there is in contemplating Christ a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quietus for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Spirit, there is a balsam or a treatment for every sore. He asked the questions, would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go. Plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity. And you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and reinvigorated. Here's a sobering but helpful diagnostic question for us to ask ourselves this morning. Do we know God better than we did this time last year? Do we know God better than we did this time last month? Do you know God better than you did this time last week? Church, I think one of the greatest mistakes that we make is thinking, I know what I need to know. I know what I need to know. I have the facts. I've got it. I've received it. Could it be that there is more for us to learn about God's character, about his personality, about his faithfulness, about his love, about every spiritual blessing in Christ that is listed which is not exhaustive in this passage, that we might have a better sense of him than we did before. Oh God, help us see you. The second thing that Paul prays for is God, help us see reality. Help us see reality. In biblical terms, the heart, he says that the eyes of your heart, notice that, the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. In biblical terms, the heart isn't just uh, an organ. It's pumping blood to our limbs. You may think of it this way. The the eye of your head, the eyes of your head can see physical and tangible things, but the eyes of your heart perceive spiritual and heavenly things. The heart in the Bible is the very center of our thinking. It's the center of our emotional being, our spiritual being. Um, My old man back in the year 1996 Uh, For some of you in the room, this will age me. For some of you in the room, you'll go, wow, he has facial hair. Um, I was five years old. We went to a Royals game, Kauffman Stadium in in Kansas City. And one of the worst memories my dad will ever have that he recounts is it was just me and him at this game. And at the end of the game, everyone gets up to leave the game. And my dad lost me, his five-year-old son, in the crowd. All these people are shuffling and and the crowd is, is moving. You guys know how it can kind of carry you. And there's just hustle and bustle. Everyone's heading toward the exits. My dad's calling my name. His heart is pounding. He's begging God for help. It's like painful to even think about being in his shoes. He could not see me or find me every direction he looked. Um, Y'all know how the mind can spiral, right? I mean, you in like five seconds can go to the farthest logic of something and imagine that and then just be in a place of total despair. So... I'm sure in those moments he thought of all the worst scenarios, having to talk to police and to my family and never seeing me grow up. Dare I go on? Be depressed yet. Um, In reality, it lasted 10 seconds. And the whole time I wasn't more than 10 feet away from him. When his eyes finally found me, can you imagine the relief that my dad felt? 
Can you imagine the joy, the thanksgiving, how he snatched me? Many of us right now, um, let's be honest, we're in a season that is really bad. Uh, You're in some kind of trial right now. There's some kind of suffering. There's questions you're asking. Your mind and your emotions, in big or small ways, are spiraling. You're thinking to the logic end of something. Uh, You feel trapped. You feel depressed. You feel depleted. And you've literally forgotten what it feels like to laugh until you cry. Uh, You've forgotten what it feels like to shed a tear thinking about how good God is in a moment in your car. Um, You've forgotten what it feels like to sing a song of praise and something moves in your bones. You've forgotten what it feels like to feel light, to smile, to, to... to not constantly worry and be pessimistic about something that's present or something that's coming in the future. It can be a short list of things, a long list of things. And to be honest with you, it feels like eternity in your life right now. It's 10 seconds to God. He sees us as lavished with grace and blessing because we belong to Jesus. He sees us as recipients of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms Oh, what relief, what joy, what thanksgiving we would have when the eyes of our hearts are enlightened to see reality. This is why, maybe you just need this verse this morning. Wisdom from Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Think about this. How does Paul describe our spiritual blessings? He says, blessed are you by every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. What does that mean? in the heavenly places, in the heavenly realms. Can I just propose to you this morning, the heavenly realms pre-existed the earthly, and the heavenly realms will post-exist the earthly. Therefore, can I propose to you the heavenly realms are more real than the earthly? To have the eyes of our hearts enlightened or to see things the way that God sees them, which is the way they really are. Are we perceiving this? God, help us see reality. And oh, church, get ready, because Paul's about to tell us a few ways that that reality ought to shape us. Ephesians 1, 18, he's going to continue, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Third, Paul is praying, God, help us see our hope. Y'all, we just can go straight to hopelessness so fast. That seems like the, the, the posture of the church these days is just wondering when it's all going to end and, and just not being in a hopeful place. The people of God ought to be the most hopeful people on the planet Earth. This is paramount that we get this. I'm just going to say it plainly. Hope is why we're all here this morning. We are hope-filled creatures. We are hope machines. How do I know? We keep getting up out of bed. We keep going. There is something in our future that we are anticipating and working toward. We want to claim something in the future that we are currently without. That's why we keep going. We are always looking ahead and thinking of and experiencing, possessing something we don't have right now. And Paul's declaration is this. Jesus is the greatest hope. Jesus is the greatest hope. Jesus is the unfailing hope. And what does that hope look like? Ephesians 1, we read it last week, verse 9 and 10. He'd made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to do what? 
to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Heaven is invading earth. The kingdom of God came with Jesus and it is coming more and more and it will come in its fullness when Jesus comes back again. Are there any Christians in the room? Jesus is coming again and when he comes there will be no death. There will be no sorrow. This is the issue. You know this, but you don't know this. God, help us see our hope in Jesus. You've had it fixed right here. Of course there's hope in the future. I've heard it a million times, Pastor. Can I just be a person to say this morning, there is. There actually is. This is why your faith is in Jesus. And this is why if you are not a Christian this morning, your faith ought to be fully in Jesus. God, help us see the hope that we have. Some of you this morning, it should hit home because you are hoping in a lot of things. You are hoping in a relationship that you hope pans out. You're hoping in something with your job and vocation. Maybe you'll make a sale. The meeting will go the way that you want it to. Some of you are hoping that your body image will look a certain way if you put in a certain amount of work and you think every day about what you look like. Summer's coming. You want to have a beach bod, okay? Chief center, right? I've got like 20 pounds to lose, okay? Some of you right now, you're hoping that your kids are going to turn out. You're hoping that you'll be able to actually protect them. You're hoping that you'll be able to form and shape them. If you're a high school student or a college student in the room, I know some of them are at our retreat right now. I'll be praying for them. They're wrapping up this morning out in Fremont. Um, you're, you're hoping that you can have a spot on the team. You're hoping that you will have friends that admire and like you or that that certain somebody will like you in return. Maybe you're somebody who is hoping in a particular GPA. Right now, we are hoping in something. We've walked in here this morning with a hope. We will leave with hopes. And might I just say, perhaps the reason the songs we sing the sermon that is preached, the sacraments that we share in, the testimonies that are shared, the fellowship we enjoy, perhaps the reason that it is not moving us to worship is because we have misplaced hope. Could it be? We gotta see this, Christians. The hope that Paul is talking about here is not defined just by what we wish or desire, but by destiny. Destiny. It has been predestined. Christian your hope is not in question. It is sure. It is not undecided, but it is decided by the Lord of all creation. Right. Author of Hebrews says to hold fast to this hope. It is a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Christian, hold fast. God, help us see our hope. If we're here and life has drained your hope, you were hoping in something and it ain't panning out. There's not any hope there anymore. There is a greater hope to cling to. There is a sure hope to cling to. And that hope is proven by an empty grave. That hope is proven by a God who is in heaven right now, interceding for us, sitting at the right hand of the Father, Jesus Christ, who rules and reigns. Our church, if anything, should be marked by hope. People should come amongst a city like Bennington, and, and if they could say anything about us, they should say they are a hopeful they hope in something so much greater. So let's pray for one another. God, help us see our hope. He continues in verse 18. He says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Fourth, we pray, God, help us see our worth. 
We're about to go somewhere right now. Okay, saint. His glorious inheritance in the saints. Y'all hear that word? You might think of a deified person, someone in Rome with a big hat on. A saint is not someone who is perfect somewhere, has a statue somewhere. It's a sinner who is saved by grace. If your faith is in Jesus, the New Testament calls you a saint. In fact, the most frequent term used for a believer in Christ in the New Testament is the term saint. So if any of you have my contact info in your phone, if you could go in right now and edit it to say Saint Glenn, I would really appreciate that. I want you to look closely at this verse, okay? Look at it. Put your eyes on it. Yes, there are things that Jesus has waiting for us. He says, I go to prepare a place for you, right? That's our inheritance. But this inheritance here means something else. Look closely. His inheritance in the saints. This is not God saying, I'm giving you an inheritance. This is God saying, you, church, are my inheritance. You are the gift to me. If that doesn't get somebody riled up, John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. If you're anything like me, you are your own worst critic. Can I get an amen? amen. It's a lot easier for you to criticize and loathe so many things when you look in the mirror than it is for you to give yourself a bunch of positive self-talk, okay? There is a cloud over our lives and a burden that we carry subconsciously that is often that, I guarantee in some way, shape, or form, you are doing it this morning. And if you're not, please show me how to be like you. I want to be more sanctified. Um, my bachelor party back in 2015, I had a bunch of buddies, uh, you know, in my wedding party. We went out to uh, a lake house. We hopped on a boat. We went out. We tubed. We had a blast. We feasted. A bunch of great food. And someone had the idea. Let's get a, uh, a little bonfire going on the, on the beachfront, if you will. We're all going to get chairs and sit around it. And somebody said, hey, we're going to go around one by one, and we're going to take the time to say out loud what it is we love about Glenn. And so one by one, um, my brothers in Christ, my blood brother, uh, guys who are so dear to me, went around and said, here's what I enjoy and, and envy about you. Here are the ways I see Christ in you. Um, here are ways that I have had my life and my faith enriched by you. I will never forget that because I felt so loved and valued and I felt worth in those moments. Hearing that stuff was just so foreign in light of, don't miss this, in light of all the things that I say to me about me. Do you say things to you about you? <laughs> it, and here's the thing. This was a bunch of sinful and messy men speaking words of affirmation to me, church. How we ought to feel when God the creator and sustainer of all things, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the great I am. He looks at us who cost him the life of his precious son, Jesus. And he says, I pursued you. I endured for you. I purchased you with my blood. You are mine. You are my bride. You are my treasured possession. I love you. You are my inheritance. Wow. Wow. Christian, wake up and look up. God loves you. You are his inheritance. Oh God, help us see our worth. What is it in your life right now? From the enemy, circumstances, things you're saying to yourself that is just mud being thrown on those proverbial spiritual glasses, keeping you from seeing and hearing what God is saying about you. 
Finally, Paul is going to reach the crescendo of this passage, the, the, the main act, if you will, the thing that influences all the other things. We see it in verse 19. And what is the immeasurable, immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great mind that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Finally, we ought to pray, God, help us see your power. God, help us see your power. I did some research leading up to this message. Uh, went on Google, and the grave is still empty. The tomb is still empty, y'all. Jesus ain't back in there. He's alive. Uh, there is resurrection power. Like the good news of Easter has not left us today, nor does it ever leave us um, so God, help us see power. Paul says it's immeasurable. It's a great might. It's a power that raised Jesus from the grave. It's a power that brings life where there is death. Does anything feel dead in your life right now? Does anything feel dead? God can bring life where there is death. Jesus is far above all things. He has rule. Everything is under his feet. We've witnessed a lot of greatness in our lifetime. And that's the same thing in Ephesus. It was the same thing. Statues and, and monuments and temples to every god and goddess and, and every accomplished person, they're all dead. What are you giving permission to have more power in your life right now than Jesus Christ? What has more power, more rule over you in your life right now, in your thought life, in your emotions, in your will, than Jesus Christ? Nothing has the same kind of power that Jesus has you, Christian, can I just declare this right now? You can choose today to not be weak. Hello, Christian. You can choose today to not be powerless. You can decide today that you are not a victim. You are part of God's chosen people. You have been marked with a seal. You have new ownership. There is a new brand on you. You belong to God. You are God's child. You don't have to stay stuck. Three times in the first half of this chapter, Paul says to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. That means that anything you're able to do, that means that any way you're able to walk in obedience, any way you're able to have hope in Jesus, it's because there is a sustaining power that is within you. Praise God for his power. Oh God, help us see not only the way that your power is already working in us and sustaining us, but God, help us see that there's more for us. It is immeasurable. There is no end, there is no limit to it. And finally, this is not only an individual power, this is a corporate power. Last two verses, verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to who? The church, which is what? His body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What an incredible blessing this announces over the church across the world. The head cannot be separated from the body. Who's the head of the church? <laughs> Who defends the church? Who holds the church without fail? Jesus loves his church. He wants to serve his church, bless his church, protect his church, pour out spiritual gifts in his church. He wants to build his church. He wants to exercise his power in and through his church. City Light Bennington, this right here ain't a joke. This is a real thing that's happening that God is doing in his kingdom right here in our region. Can we wake up? Can we see that God is bringing life where there was death? God is bringing hope where there was hopelessness. God is bringing power to the powerless. 
There is resurrection power that's real. And in closing, what does it mean, Christian? You are poor in nothing. I want to tell you something right now. You already, if you're a Christian, you already have a perfect, ongoing, interactive relationship with the living God. You already have all hope. You already have unmatched worth. You already have power from on high. Do you hear this? It's all on you. It's been thrown on you, lavished on you right now. We do not lack anything for life and godliness because of what Jesus has done. Praise his name. Oftentimes, the gap, the chasm, the disconnect between knowing these things and feeling them and sensing and living in light of them is surrendering our emotions and our wills to a new reality and saying, God, God, please help us see. The reason every great movement of God is birthed in prayer is because I can't preach a sermon to convince you of all you have to know. You can't watch a YouTube video. You can't listen to a podcast. It's powerless. No, 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 something, be it a circumstance, an emotion, a demonic influence is polluting the eyes of your heart today, Christian. You just need new eyes to see. And when the spirit of revelation and wisdom removes the scales from our eyes, and when the eyes of our hearts are enlightened, watch out for the church of Jesus Christ. Watch out. When we see Jesus for who he is and all that we have in him, I won't even need to preach a sermon for us to uproot our lives for us to give all that we have, for us to make sacrifices, for us to have joy, hope, peace, to bring change to this community, change to the world. I want to pray this prayer over our church in closing. And I'm asking God to do something with it. God, help us see. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? For this reason, because I have heard of the faith of City Light Bennington and the Lord Jesus and y'all's love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen.